The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Archaeology is often viewed as a fascinating, eclectic, yet ultimately quaint pursuit. This program explores archaeology from the perspective of professionals who demonstrate that in the 21st century, archaeology and its sub-disciplines may hold the key, not only to our past, but to our present and future. Welcome to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, with your host, Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Spend the next hour exploring where we came from and where we're headed with a leading researcher and practitioner in the field. Now, here is Dr. Schuldenrein. Good afternoon. This is Joe Schuldenrein from New York City uh, with another episode of Indiana Jones Myth Reality and 21st Century Archaeology. One of the topics that we have been dealing with at length in a number of our episodes is the entire question of media and archaeology. That topic has launched into the forefront over the past few years with the fluorescence and the growth and, and, and the widespread distribution of social media. A lot of those who are trained in a more traditional venue and have essentially been schooled in more academic elements of this profession are uh, increasingly aware of the need to expand our horizons and to essentially distribute, if you will, our message on a variety of more publicly, publicly oriented and wider spread venues. Archaeologists have traditionally been known, and, and this is something that is almost humorous if it weren't so serious, for making a very, very interesting topics somewhat boring. And I think social media is one of those welcome outlets over the past few years that's encouraged us to sort of disperse our message uh, more, uh, shall we say, publicly and certainly to disperse it in a way that is more equitable for the broader audience to absorb and to get involved with. And my guest today is uh, Richard Pettigrew, who is one of the pioneers of expanding archaeology into a public forum. He is um, the uh, head of the Archaeological Legacy Institute and has essentially transformed film into a media that is very, very friendly for archaeologists, and his organization is dedicated to that mission. Richard Pettigrew is a consulting archaeologist from Eugene, Oregon, and has had over 40 years of experience in Western North America. And as I said, he is the director of the Archaeological Legacy Institute and produces the Archaeology Channel, and we'll talk about that in a minute. He has an extensive set of bona fides in our profession, has served on film festival juries all over the world, and is experienced as a producer of cultural heritage films. 
He was the 2006 recipient of the Society for American Archaeology Award for Excellence in Public Education. And he has uh, undertaken, directed, and produced a variety of educational films in archaeology uh, across the world, especially in the South Pacific. And it is my pleasure to introduce and present uh, Richard Pettigrew to the program. Thanks for showing up, Richard. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm happy that you asked me. Rick, let's talk about you personally just a hair because most folks who go into archaeology and certainly the ones from our generation who went into it really didn't have a trained eye shall we say or didn't have an orientation towards public involvement and yet you went ahead and you pioneered that I think in many ways tell us how you got interested in this element of archaeology and public outreach well, you know, I got into archaeology um, for my own personal reasons, uh, basically out of curiosity. Uh, I've always wanted to know how things came to be, you know, the way they are, and I became very curious about people and humanity, and uh, that led me to archaeology. You know, I, I've always had, I've always been sort of a scientist. I've been interested in the empirical, you know, um, uh, approach to understanding things, and archaeology just really fit that model. So. I did that, and I've always felt that the real reason why we should be in archaeology is so that we could try to explore that, you know, and find out our origins and how things came to be. And But beyond that, it's not just for our own personal benefit, but it should be shared with everybody. So, you know, I think we have an obligation to share this, this perspective and this information with everybody because it's all about us, right? It should be shared. That's, Absolutely. That's the basic feeling. But were you oriented that way from the outset? I mean, did you have a vision of using media to extend to the public? I mean, when you did it, it was basically not a widespread uh, pattern for archaeologists to launch into careers. Right. Well, that kind of, kind of connects with my interest in technology. You know, I've always been interested in uh, science and technology, and I've uh, I've been always been a computer nerd from you know a long time ago. I started taking computer programming classes at Stanford back in the 60s, and I followed the technology all the way along. And I've always been interested in media, but never really saw the possibility of doing anything serious with it until the late 90s when the technology finally evolved to allow us to use streaming media to communicate with everybody uh, through the use of video and audio programming. It was really technology and its availability that that gave me this idea. You know, the first um, streaming media technology, a practical technology, was begun in 1997 with RealPlayer, and then Windows Media Player was introduced in 1999. Uh, with some friends of mine, I founded this organization in 1999, and we were streaming our first videos in the summer of 2000. So it was the advent of that technology and the opportunity that it presented that really got me moving in this direction. So get us into the nuts and bolts, if you will, of Archaeological Legacy Institute and how that sort of uh, transformed itself into the Learning Channel. How did that actually work? I know that the technology was mobilized to do it. That's clear from what you've said. But where did you start to reach out? Where did you get your original ideas for what types of topics you wanted to bring in? And how did the actual channel evolve? 
Well, a lot of it had to do with opportunity. Uh, we started with no financial support, no equipment, no nothing, just an idea. It was a matter of, of using my own personal network to connect with people to find programming that we could actually use. The idea of what we would like to do, you know, based, based on just the fact that, you know, the, you know, archaeology is a big topic, and, and there are lots of uh, lots of uh, subjects to share. But what we were able to do depended upon what was available. So, our first our first five videos came from uh, an associate of mine who is a filmmaker and who has been making archaeology videos, and so it was his material that started our programming. And so you you got some inspiration from him. And where did you start? What topics brought brought you into the picture? What topics um, started out as sort of the vehicles for being very, let's say, say film friendly and public outreach friendly, if you will? Were there any particular themes that you focused on? I know you said that there were opportunistic uh, situations that you were able to capitalize on, but did they immediately catch on? Were there topics that you felt would be very, very uh, amenable, say, to public consumption and interest? I think that it's really a matter of, as I said, what's available and what, in my own view, would be appealing to a public audience, right? So, as I said, uh, this uh, filmmaker friend of mine, uh, uh, Gray Warner in Seattle with his company, Camera One, um, he had already been making uh, films for public consumption and doing a pretty good job of it. And so I simply took advantage of that availability. They were already there, you know. People had been making films uh, for public consumption for a while. They were already there. So I just basically looked to see what was available because we didn't. We were not able to really pick and choose our topics really very much because we didn't have the resources to to do our own productions at that time. We simply had to see what was available, and it was plenty. So content has never been a big issue in terms of availability. So. We've evolved, though, so that now we're able to be more selective with regard to what's out there, and we're also doing our own productions. So we have a little bit more choice now in terms of topics, but initially we didn't have a lot of choice. So when you got your inspiration for it, obviously you had uh, ready-made feeds or you had ready-made productions that you would edit or that you would uh, combine with other ones. Did you issue them sort of one by one? You had to get permissions, obviously, from whoever was making the original productions. Is that how that worked? Basically, yeah. Uh, we would take the productions and just put them up. We didn't really have the capability of doing editing, nor did we really have permission to edit other people's work. We selected things to put up on the archaeology channel um, and, you know, put them up there just as they were. Uh, and, and then yeah, right. within, within a year or so after that, we started doing our own audio program, the Audio News from Archaeologica, which we've been producing ever since. Right. And that's been going on for like 15 years or something like that, right? Yeah, that started in 2001. So I guess we're over 13 years now with that. Um, we started podcasting that in '05. So it's been a continuous development from the beginning. I guess I'm really interested in the film. What were the first programs, uh, just out of curiosity? What topics did they deal with? They were basically uh, North American topics. Uh, camera, camera One had been making films, uh, such as films for the National Park Service, focusing on 
you know, uh, national monuments and so forth uh, that had an archaeological focus, making films for visitor centers and that sort of thing. So they were all across North America, you know, uh, things relating to Mississippian, Southwest, uh, and topics like that that related to those places. But initially we started with, you know, North American topics. Uh Uh-huh. And then you just sort of spread outward as you got more and more access. Once we got started and developing our networks, uh, our network, then we started making connections with filmmakers more broadly and finding out about what other uh, material was available. And very quickly it it, uh, snowballed. And our network grew dramatically, especially after we started our film festival in '03, which connected us with filmmakers all over the world. And so that was a vehicle for gaining access, I assume, right? Absolutely. Uh, it was. It's a competition, and we still do that every year. It's an international competition in film relating to cultural heritage, but it has the benefit of linking us with filmmakers and and giving us lots of experience in reviewing film and evaluating it and considering it. Uh, That's been a huge help for us. And it's an annual festival? That's right. It's called the Archaeology Channel International Film and Video Festival. We do it every year in May. Uh, We screen the films right here in Eugene. Uh, It's an international event with many participants. Last year, we received 113 film entries from 24 countries. Wow. We screened 18 films uh, for the competition. Over the time that we've done this, it's been, as I said, I don't know how many years now, dozen years. I guess we're in our 12th year. Uh, We've received films from 45 different countries for the competition. And we will be back with our guest, Richard Pettigrew, from the Archaeological Legacy Institute after these words don't go away. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Museums are great places to work and wonderful places to visit. But are they essential? How can we improve our museum practice so that museums remain vital and essential players in society? Listen for Museum Life with host Carol Bossert, where each week we'll discuss timely and topical issues of concern to the museum community. Museum Life can be heard live every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to Indiana Jones Myth Reality at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. This is Joe Schuldenrein, and we're back with our guest, uh, Dr. Richard Pettigrew, who is the founder of the Archaeological Legacy Institute. And those of you who are either professional or uh, devoted amateurs and simply interested people in archaeology probably know a little bit about his work uh, in, in uh, cinema and in audiovisual work um, with the Learning Channel. And so... Um, uh, the Archaeology Channel, rather. Um, and I would like to ask Rick, we were talking about his launching his operation and that it took off quite substantially with a film festival that the Archaeology, Archaeological Legacy Institute sponsors. Tell us a little bit more about that and how the channel emerged. Well, the festival got started in 2003. Um, I... You know, I felt that this was an important thing for us to do because, you know, the Archaeology Channel itself is, is just basically a, a kind of a virtual reality. Uh, we connect with people over the Internet. And it, I always thought it was a good idea to connect with people in person, too, you know. So the festival afforded us an opportunity to show our, our, our content, our films, our media in front of live audience and connect us with real people in real time. And that, there's a lot of pleasure to be gained from that. Besides, it's a different kind of experience. And, the, and, and, and there had been no um, competitive festival for archaeological film in the Western Hemisphere at all up to that time. There had been a number of them. There were a number of them in Europe. And um, so I connected up with uh, people in Bordeaux at the iChronos Festival. Uh-huh. And they helped us a lot to, uh, you know, to plan our event. And so we put that on for the first time in 2003. We've been doing it every year uh, since that time and developing our own sort of way of going about it. Uh, and it's now, I think, one of the leading uh, festivals of its kind in the world. And we, we get lots of response from, from filmmakers whenever we put out the word. Now, my understanding is that you have gone basically from disseminating uh, for lack of a better word, pre-packaged and produced shows to actually producing them yourself right now. Is that the case? Yeah, that's right. We have uh, 
we we first started in 2004 with a a film about a site that I was excavating in Portland called the St. John site. And we've been doing a number of things ever since, uh but it's I think it's it's gotten more active uh as time has gone on, especially over the past 3 or 4 years. Uh we um sent our videographer to Thailand in 2010 and he did a film about the cultural heritage of Thailand. Then I took a film group a film team to Malta in 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh that was funded by the the Malta Tourism Authority. Uh and then we got a contract with the Federal Highway Administration to do a film on Guam which we shot last year in June in June 2013 and we finally finished that at the beginning of 2014. Uh and now it's it's um we it's we've submitted it to a number of film festivals so we'll see how the other film festivals think about it. Uh we've done a number of shorter things. Um uh, we've done a lot of interviews, uh short videos. We've done some things about my own travels. Um I went to Italy to a conference in 2011, shot some footage, we made a film out of that. I went to I was on a jury in uh, northern Italy last year. Shot some footage. We made a little piece about that, showing people what what I did there. And then I went to a film festival. I was on a jury in uh, Tehran, Iran, in December of 2013. We made a short five-minute piece about that. Um, So we're kind of ramping up our production, both in terms of documentary film and in terms of short video. And you know, getting better at that, trying to trying to to bring in uh, more interested people who want to see that sort of thing done, doing it for clients and so forth. Uh, we're pretty excited about that. Um, I think that gives us a whole new avenue to expand in. Can you give us a sense at who your public is? I mean, who is uh, watching the shows, who's listening to the shows? What kind of an audience do you get? And do you have any kind of an estimate about the numbers and the worldwide distribution of your viewer or listenership? Yeah, getting numbers is always very difficult, but the um, the audience is pretty broad. Of course, we want to reach out to all age groups, and we do. To a certain extent, you know, uh, it just depends on which platform we're talking about. I think the Archaeology Channel uh, audience, we can break down into three basic groups. There's a group of technophiles who just love to to see online video. Um, There is the uh, sort of um, older group, you know, like the PBS group who like to watch archaeology documentaries. There's also the educational establishment and students. A lot of uh, educators are using our content in their classes. We really see that when the fall arrives and we get a spike in our traffic. A a lot of students are watching because they're interested and also because they're assigned to watch the films. So we can identify those people on TAC. Our film festival, we get because we can see them in person, um, we get the kind of people you might imagine. That, again, it's, I guess it's kind of the PBS set, mostly uh-huh. uh, older National people. National Public Radio set, those folks, huh? Yeah, that kind of folks. Uh, but we also get students and younger people who are interested, and families. All of our programming is family-oriented. Uh, you know, uh, uh, it's viewable by anybody at any age, so 
It's good for families. And then we have well, our social media people. And, of course. Yeah, and our social media people are generally younger. You know, the Facebook set is generally, uh, you know, 40 years old and younger, but, you know, you still get all ages. Um, sure. In terms of traffic, uh, we have, let's see, so far on the Archaeology Channel, we have 68,000 users, uh, about 200,000 page views so far. Um, but it it varies. Uh, it's a fairly substantial audience, and we, we are interested in growing it as much as possible. So we're pointing people to it from our social media sites and using every possible means to, uh, you know, to become visible and attract interest from people. Our right. social media sites are extremely, I think, uh, popular. We have some pretty good numbers, and we got 7,200 likes on Facebook. Um, we've got on Google Plus, we have 133,000 views so far. Um, Let's see. We have our own social media site called Archaeoseek, uh, which has 1,660 members. We've got about 4,000 followers on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Twitter followers, about 600. Um, and I could go on and on about these numbers. Yeah, no, are, I, I what, think, what's, what's of interest, I think, to a lot of people is and we have done this too in our program because one of the things that we're constantly doing and i'm sure you're doing it as well is you're trying to ratchet up the listenership the viewership you want to do well and you want to identify topics of interest to the listenership or viewership and i was just curious whether or not you track that we can track that certainly through uh internet radio and podcasts because that information is uh, readily tracked by our producer. My question to you, though, is what are the specific topics that you find generate a whole lot of buzz? <laughs> you know, uh, the general audience is fairly predictable. Uh, they, do, they do have their preconceptions about archaeology and the kinds of things that they think, think mean archaeology, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, they always seem to be interested in, in the uh, standard topics that, that we all know about. You know, anything about Egypt turns out to be popular. Anything about Easter Island or Machu Picchu, the kinds of right. things that people are already familiar with. Right? Right, the, the and, sexy you know, stuff. I have a little bit of a problem with that because, you know, this is old stuff for me and and for me not terribly exciting because I'm always looking for the out-of-the-way thing, you know, the unusual thing. Um and I guess a lot of people are interested in, in learning new things, too. So the audience is multifaceted. Uh, you know, large numbers are interested in those standard topics, but then there are others who uh, want to learn new things. I, our audio news program has a huge following. I didn't even mention the numbers there, but there are, uh, you know, that's a tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people listening to that show, which is our number one show. And we cover all kinds of topics. And people are interested in, and we get feedback from people. They're interested in being surprised and learning new things. The news is, is a big thing for people. So um, you're, you're seeing a lot of the same things that we're seeing. A lot of the old standbys still to seem to be uh, dr- attracting a whole 
lot of folks. And I think we were surprised about that when we did our work because we were thinking that some of the more uh, recent developments of archaeology would bring in folks, for example, uh, human evolution and all the discoveries associated with that. What are you finding with that? Yeah, I think that a lot of people are interested in that. But they're not. Many of many people are not knowledgeable enough to understand the significance of the stories that come out. I think this is the big, the biggest issue that there needs to be a broader understanding among people in order to for them to get excited about uh, different kinds of topics. Uh, so I think that fundamental, you know, laying out some fundamental uh, uh, basic facts and information about different topics are, are, is important to try to bring the audience up to speed. And then whenever we do stories, we, we do provide uh, as much background as possible to try to create the context so that people can see the importance of the story. And we will be back with our guest, uh, Dr. Richard Pettigrew of the Archaeological Legacy Institute after these words. Stay tuned. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basili is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basili, Radio to Thrive By. Ooh, are you happy with just accepting and passing along what the media, politicians, and government are feeding you? Or are you positively sick of it? It's time to get the real facts and form your own decisions. It's time to awaken the sleeper within you. Each week, host Dr. Nick Castellano will uncover various viewpoints and topics designed to inform and present the truth. Today's masses are manipulated by media coverage, and we will not become sheeple. Tune in to Awaken the Sleeper, Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace to speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to Indiana Jones Myth Reality at gmail.com. Now, back to the program.
This is Joe Schuldenrein and my guest today on uh, Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology is Dr. Richard Pettigrew, who is the founder of the Archaeology Channel and also the Archaeological Legacy Institute. And we have been talking extensively about film and archaeology and the need for public outreach and the excitement that gets generated when we uh, dispense and disseminate the work that we do to a broader public. We do try to do it on this show, and Rick certainly has done it extensively through the Archaeological Legacy Institute. Rick, I'm curious as to how your operation works in a nuts and bolts sense and what the relationship is between your founding organization uh, the Archaeological Legacy Institute and uh, the Archaeology Channel. Well, our organization is a 501c3 nonprofit, and you know, we made that decision initially uh, because we didn't want to be influenced by commercial interests. Uh, we wanted to be able to follow our own path, and I think that's worked out pretty well. Um, the funding model is basically just like PBS, public broadcasting, where we have membership organ, we have membership support. We have underwriters. Uh, we do uh, grants and contracts. Uh, you know, very much like NPR, PBS, and so forth. Um, and and that I think is a good thing. Uh, it, it connects us with people. People uh, develop a, a confidence in in what we do because we do it because of our passion and our interests, not because we're trying to make a pile of money. You know, so. I think that having that confidence in, in, from the audience is really important. They trust what we do, and that's valuable. Mm-hmm. What about the organization of the institute itself, and where is it? Who runs? And obviously, you run it, but how's it? Right. How's it structured? Well, we have a we have a five person, uh, five or six, yeah, five person board, uh, which we've had from the get go. Uh, so we have a board of directors, um, and I'm the executive director appointed by the board. And then we have uh, uh, just a couple of employees and a whole passel of volunteers who work with us both here in the office and uh, all over the country and all around the world, actually. The largest number of people that we connect with uh, work with us on a volunteer basis. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a passion for them, I assume. Absolutely. A lot of people are very interested in what we do. They see the value in what we do. Uh, they're excited about what we do because it's unique um, and uh, innovative. Um, and, you know, they like to be a part of it, especially younger people who, uh, you know, have, uh, you know, high ideals and they want to see important things happen. They want to be part of it. What about for younger people? You had mentioned during the break that you have a variety of programs that uh, probably extend to the K through eight crowd. You know, younger kids and right. and children who are just getting started and and sort of uh, ingraining with them. Then hopefully a passion for archaeology. Tell us a little bit about those programs. Well, we we actually have teamed up with uh, a New York nonprofit called Antiquity Now to create a, a new event. It's called Legacy Quest International Children's Film and Video Festival. Uh-huh. It's in its second year, and basically we're inviting kids, this focus on middle school kids, we're inviting kids uh, to work with their teachers to make videos for this competition. They're just five-minute videos, 
and uh, we've we've gone through it one year. We're now inviting new entries, um, and it's basically a school-based sort of thing where the teachers uh, bring their classes together to to make these short videos for the competition, and the theme is the expression of antiquity in the modern world. So it's, it connects the way we live today with the way people lived in the past. And it, it focuses on how some things have changed and some things have stayed the same. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, that's very educational because I think a lot of kids uh, are very enamored of archaeology, certainly when they start out, and uh, they look at it as this very adventurous type of endeavor. And I guess you really sort of at the ground roots level have to promote the idea that we are really learning about ourselves. We're learning about who we are, how, where we came from. And I think that's probably a message that most of us adults underestimate the potential of kids to absorb because I know when I speak to my kids, um, they pick up on this right away and they have sort of a sense of the continuity of the human condition, if you will, to use some technical jargon. But there nevertheless is a sense that they know that we came from a past from past traditions. They know a little bit about their parents. They certainly don't know a lot more before that, but from school and from what they're learning, uh, they're seeing the continuity of this. And I'm wondering how you tap into that in terms of designing programs for kids. Well, with regard to Legacy, Legacy Quest, I think that this is the right age uh, because these kids are not uh, fully entrenched in their stereotypes about what archaeology is, you know. Absolutely Adults right. They're really stuck in their stereotypes, but you can reach the kids because they're, they're interested in stories about people. Mm-hmm. And uh, for them, you know, archaeology is what we what we tell them that it is, right? It's not what they've been brought up to believe. Uh, and so this is really important. The, 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 that their activity in making their films uh, really connects them with the topic. And we've seen they're really excited about it. I think this is a really good way to go. And because it's it's visual, it's film, we can show people what the kids are doing. Other kids look at it, you know, and um, it's attractive to people. People. You know, uh, people are very visual, very very focused on images, and it really helps us to get our message across. So I think this is a this is a really good focus for us. And with regard to other children's programming, we do have children's programming on the Archaeology Channel. It's not mm-hmm. as much as I would like to see, but we do right. have programs made for kids, including some cartoon features, and we have at least one or two uh, films that were actually made by kids on the Archaeology Channel. And through our, our um, uh, co- collaboration with Antiquity Now, I think we're going to be seeing more and more material that is uh, children-oriented. And I guess another question that I have for you, and, and this is sort of a farther-reaching question and one that I think uh, let's, for, better, for, for lack of a better uh, constraint, uh, talk about how the type of work that you do and to some degree the type of work that all people involved in archaeological media do and there aren't very many of us i'm sure i know that and that's one of my issues uh how do we bring this message across to people who are going into our profession and how do we get more archaeologists to focus on public outreach and to try to convey this uh, image of what we do as being sort of a productive endeavor, especially at a time when when traditional sources of funding are drying up and that we're increasingly dependent on the public for financing 
uh, the types of things that we do. How do we do that? I don't know that there are any formal programs in universities or colleges that deal with archaeology and media, or are there? Well, um well, first let me answer your last question. Yes, there are. Uh, Bristol University in the UK is a case in point. They have an MA program in archaeological film, and they've they've uh, uh, they've come out with a, quite a number of students that have been making film, and we we connect with them a lot. They they submit films to our film festival every year. So yes, uh-huh. there is such a program. That's at Bristol University in the UK. There may be others as well. I'm not so, so familiar with. Uh, I think there's a there's an instructor at the University of Washington who has a film program connected with archaeology. Uh, but yes, they are very rare. Now, your broader question: How do we how do we interest uh, archaeologists, especially up and coming archaeologists, in doing this kind of thing? Uh huh. The way to do it is to do it. <laughs> You know, I mean, right? No, I understand that, but it's it's uh, it's not a venue that a student going into advanced training is a awfully familiar with, and possibly not even that motivated to do. So, how do we do that? I mean, where do you start? You have much more experience in this than I do, but I don't come across many uh, many uh, of my employees or people who work in our operation that say, you know what, I'm really interested in archaeology. Archaeological, archaeological media. And that's unfortunate because in 20 years or so, um, if we don't have a public connection, we're not going to be able to do the type of work we do, given the yeah. shrinkage of budgets and yeah. the constraints on governmental funding and uh, changes in priorities, et cetera, et cetera. Well, How do we do that? I There's an urgency right. to it. And, and, yeah. But I'm encouraged, actually, Joe, because I, I see a lot of young archaeologists really interested in what we're doing. And we're getting a lot of good feedback from people. The younger archaeologists understand it a whole lot more than the older ones do. There, no question about that. So my question to you now is, do you have internship programs? Do you have people that work with you from universities who understand yeah. that that is the future and that that's where they really need to sort of redirect their career path? Yeah, we don't have a lot of opportunities for people to to do that sort of thing with us to a great extent, but we're always on the lookout for people who want to work with us and help us. So I would say that, you know, we haven't, we do have internship opportunities for students, but they're local, right? Right here in our local area. Well, that's fine. We, we We don't have a lot of mechanisms for people distant from us to work with us that closely, but we are working to develop those opportunities. But I would say in general uh, that through our social media and through our programming itself, a lot of young archaeologists are connecting with us. And I would say that um, our visibility has grown and is continues to grow, and I think it will grow still faster as we're able to put out more programming, which we are doing. We're expanding our content quite a bit and doing more and more sorts of projects, um, including on TV. I mean, we've, we've got our um, cable TV show, which is uh, straight up, or rather, uh, video news from TAC. Which, and who, uh, who, who sponsors we've that? Four who years that? now, and we're just complete. We just completed our last episode. We're going to work on a new show. We're going to be producing uh, and distributing a new show called Straight Up: Portraits of Humanity, which begins in October. And we'll be back with our final segment with uh, Dr. Rick. 
Pettigrew from the Archaeological Legacy Institute after these words. Stay tuned. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. In the spirit of Have Couch Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to Indiana Jones Myth Reality at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Rick Pettigrew is the founder of the Archaeological Legacy Institute and uh, essentially the Archaeology Channel. And we have been spending this very wonderful hour discussing his uh, operation and the need 
to effectively change our venues in archaeology and to reach out to the public through uh, social media, obviously, which is which is sort of taken off in the past few years. And Rick has sort of foreseen this this set of developments and is very involved in audiovisual projections and in audio and organization of programs. So, Rick, let me ask you right now because you do seem to be uh, one of the people who, one of the few people in our profession who has a, a pulse, who takes the pulse essentially of, of where our profession is going in terms of public outreach. What are you guys doing right now and what are your plans going forward? Right. Well, the, the, what we're most excited about at the moment is our new show, which is called Strata Portraits of Humanity. This is a, a rebranding of our old show, which has been the video news from TAC, which we began in 2010. This is a monthly news magazine show, a half-hour show, which we've been putting out on multiple platforms, uh, on our website and on other uh, Internet uh, sites and uh, on cable TV. We have a network of stations across the country, 26 stations from coast to coast, um, including uh, Comcast On Demand in Oregon and Washington uh, to carry the show. And I wish I could tell you how many people watch. We don't get very good numbers in terms of that, but I think that there's a sizable audience, which which is growing. We've been doing video news for four years. We just completed our last edition of the video news, and we're rebranding it to our new show, Straight Up Portraits of Humanity, which will be launched on October 15th. Uh, that's You'll be able to see more information about that on the Archaeology Channel website. And I would encourage people to do that. Uh, what we do with this show is we present segments, oftentimes short video segments. We have one or two or three segments on the show each time, and they come from all over the world. For the video news show, we ultimately presented 106 uh, program segments from 27 countries uh, over the span of four years. There were 48 different uh, uh, episodes. And we're, we're using that as a platform for Strata, a kind of a foundation, and we're going to move forward with Strata uh, based on the learning that we, that we had from the video news show. So we want to expand our audience. We want to continue to put out this, this show, our uh, new program, and we want to expand the distribution. So we're looking for more uh, cable TV channels across the country. We're looking to expand our distribution on uh, Comcast On Demand and maybe other cable networks. Mm-hmm. So this is basically a bootstrapping effort. We don't have a huge pile of money behind us, so it, uh, it depends on making partnerships with people. But I think it is working, and we're looking for the opportunity to develop further programming once we're able to do that. Do you see any particular topics on the horizon that sort of either lend themselves to your type of programming or which will be going down the road a little bit uh, more uh, critical in in fashioning where archaeology is going in a way that that will make it amenable to public consumption and public interests? Right. I I think uh, less in terms of topics than I do in terms of style. Mm-hmm. I think we can tell stories that are interesting and fascinating on a variety of topics if we present them properly, if we make them accessible to people, if we make them exciting and interesting to people. 
Uh, yeah, sure, there are probably topics that people will naturally gravitate toward. As we mentioned, you know, Egypt, Machu Picchu, Easter Island, and so forth. But those are a limited number of topics. Of course. We need to be able to present a variety of topics. And I think the, the, the challenge is to come up with uh, a way of telling the story that brings people in. I think we need to focus on that, and that will allow us to tell a wide variety of, of, of topics, uh, present a wide variety of topics. Uh, it needs to be accessible. Uh, we need to speak to people in their own language. We need to be visually interesting. Um, you know, talking head videos don't really do the trick. There Clearly has to be a not, lot yeah. of image variety in the in the in the in the in the, in the uh, videos. Um, it needs to be it needs to be fairly fast paced. Um, the language you use has to be understandable, um, and we have to be good storytellers. Clearly. Now, those um, are some important components right there. Right, right. I, I'm just wondering, are there any topics that you think are going to be hot or, or any directions that you think are, are really going to light a fire for people and, and get, uh, get a tremendous amount of, let's go, say, buzz going forward? What are, the, what are the archaeological issues of the day, shall we say, that you think are going to uh, make, make a big splash? I think people are interested in new discoveries, wherever uh -huh. they might be. Okay, so, for example, in the last week we heard about the ship discovered from the Franklin Expedition up in the Canadian Arctic. Right. A lot of people are really excited about that. That's a new discovery. Uh, things that come out in the news. We see actual news uh, in, the, in, the, in the major media every day about archaeology. Of course. People are excited about this, and it's quite diverse. You know, whether it's about, you know, some uh, medieval English king whose burial was recently discovered, or, uh, you know, as I said, the, a ship from an expedition that had been lost forever, or whether it's finding, you know, Amelia Earhart's airplane out in the Pacific, or things like that that people can get excited about. And we can try to direct them towards topics that we think are important, but there has to be a hook. Of you course. Know? No, it has, there has to be a hook. But I, I think that over time these things change. But as we discussed earlier, they don't change that much. I think you're right. It is most recent discoveries and that sort of thing. Do you think that archaeology in the media is going to be an expanding venue for future archaeologists to get involved with? And, and might there be a, an interdisciplinary overlap between media folks and archaeology folks? It seems like it's a natural merger and that that's something that would would greatly expand sort of cross-pollination between two uh, two disciplines. Yeah, I think so. I, I think that partnerships are really important. Now, I never was brought up as a filmmaker or a media person, but I've associated myself with those kinds of people, and I have learned a lot from them. I have a great deal of respect for people who make productions. Their skills are really awesome. I, I really I really enjoy connecting with them, working with them. And on the other hand, they don't know a lot about what we do. I think we need to team up with people and, and work collaboratively with people because, you know, a Ph.D. archaeologist does, does not have the training to be really conversant with media production. And media Absolutely. production people don't know enough about archaeology to really do anything of great value. We've seen a lot of great filmmakers fall flat when they try to cover these topics. They don't understand it. Right? So we need to work in a teamwork fashion. 
with people who are experienced in media. And we need to learn about this, but we can't necessarily produce them individually ourselves. Right, and I think that's that's probably one of the directions that we have to really concentrate on because, as I said earlier, we are increasingly reliant on the general public for funding, interest, and ultimately the merging of those two elements, which will allow our profession to certainly prosper both in traditional and innovative ways. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Rick Predigrew of the Archaeological Legacy Institute for sharing this wonderful hour with us. Uh, thanks very much, Rick. We appreciate it. And thank you for the opportunity. And we will be back again next week with another program. Until, they'll, they, until then, stay well, and we will see you next time. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Please join us for another unique journey into the past next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the meantime, think about the past with an eye towards the future and a better tomorrow. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.